Perv. Slut. Wow! I hate myself. Perv. Slut. Don't make this fun! Perv. Slut. The Sexhibition. Perv. This is the Fleabag Research Project. I'm Yana Rankov, and I'll be your host. Oh, you got me. I don't carry a vagina around with me. <laughs> That'd be way too provocative. Quick note from the editing room for this episode. I've decided to split my interview with Bridget into two parts because it became such an excellent and expansive and very fun conversation on paratext and a lot of other stuff that has to do with being in film and media, thinking about it, being a chick in film and media, etc. So part two will be published as its own expert interview on paratext, though we do start talking about it right here in the single person focus interview. And that will be published in the second part of the podcast along with the other expert interviews. Paratext, for those of you who don't know, refers to material associated with but distinct from the main body of work. So in our case, Fleabag. So it's anything like newspaper articles, interviews, uh, fan writing, etc., etc. All of that refers to paratext. Also at the end of the episode, instead of saying, I may destroy you, I start saying, this may destroy you. Don't know why. Very sorry though, Miss Cole. Without further ado, enjoy the interview. Alrighty. Hello, this is episode five of the Fleabag Research Project. This is my project. My name is Yana Rankov, and I'm here today with Bridget May, who was my former improv coach. Hi, um, my name's Bridget May. I am a writer and improviser from Vancouver, BC. Yeah. Um, yeah, just out here. <laughs> I'd like to ask you and everyone else I've talked to how you would describe your relationship to the show. Yeah, so um, my relationship to the show is like is very um, storied. I really do like the show. This is probably this has been my third watch through the whole series. It was Thank recommended you again for to watching me. It. Yeah, of course, of course. Um, it was recommended to me by one of my friends, and I kind of just like brushed it off the first time she she told me about it. She was like, "No, you should really watch it. Like, um, it's really good." Uh, and I kind of just brushed it off. And then I jumped on the bandwagon when a bunch of other people oh, were talking about it. it off? Um, I think what made you brush it, it off? It was hard to find because I didn't have Amazon Prime at the time. Yeah. Um, additionally, also, fuck Amazon Prime. No, I know. Fuck Amazon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, um, I steal my roommate's parents. Fuck it. I know. I, I actually stole. So the, the friend who recommended it to me, um, she gave me her... Uh, <laughs> She gave me her um, Amazon Prime account so I could watch it. But yeah, I like I did I did watch it illegally the first time, but now now I've watched it three times and it's fine. <laughs> I am a fan of Phoebe Waller Bridge. I've like watched. I'm pretty uh, in uh, in tune with like a lot of her her um, portfolio, I guess. And I've watched most yeah. of her shows. And yeah, any standouts to you? I loved crashing like I really did like crashing it was it was it's interesting to see the trajectory of her career and like how how her writing has improved over time sorry if I may interject about crashing I would really like to talk to you about crashing specifically because I feel like it's such a proto flea bag yeah you have these like proto characters and you're like this is clearly preoccupying her this is clearly on her mind yeah and she's just expressing it in like a very like sitcom-y way it's very like interesting yeah it's definitely you can definitely see the seeds especially like oh my gosh her her relationship um I don't know the name of the the people in Fleabag or sorry in Crashing like Lulu and like the girlfriend of her best friend is like truly like a Claire Fleabag prototype that kind of just like develops it's so yeah it's really interesting to see um and then I don't know if you saw Run with um she I didn't I didn't have a chance she, yeah so she was an executive producer and it has like Merritt Weaver who is in a Netflix series that came out quite recently um she was in that and then Dom Hall Gleason who just absolutely dominated 2007 with Ex Machina and like all the Star Wars movies mm-hmm. um but <laughs> he's in it and it's awful it's a terrible show <laughs> it's like actually quite bad um which is interesting because she apparently everything she touches turns to gold except for that show <laughs> yeah she had to have one exactly done. exactly I would like to know what you think specifically about the humor in Fleabag and what do you think the purpose of it is specifically one thing that is so interesting about Fleabag is that it's like it's such an ego trip in a way 
because like if you think about the way that Fleabag like looks at the camera is constantly checking in with us the audience it's all about like us being like let in on the joke and I think that Mm. is the kind of epitome of like the ego and like being kind of cynical and ironic is like definitely derivative of that and I think her using humor as a crutch for her like grief that she's obviously going through is like is such a thing and I think that's where the humor comes from um I was also reading in an interview um in terms of just kind of like the where humor comes from in her writing was that she uses like the rule of threes um and she puts like the character something's funny in a scene because there are three things going on so for example there's like in the scene i think in episode one when she's with the banker she's trying to get a loan thank you for coming in today we really appreciate you considering us for your small business startup loan no problem she's hot are you all right oh yeah sorry i just um I ran from the station, so I'm just a bit hot. So I'm really excited about... Um, water? To, uh, no, thanks, I'm fine. Actually, yeah, water would be great. If I could... Sure. And they just had a sexual, like, assault case. As you are probably aware, we haven't had the opportunity to support many, any women-led businesses since the... Sexual harassment case. A sexual harassment case. Yes. In that bank. And so... It's just, like, those three things that she's having to deal with, like, Mm. creates that humor. Oh, so she... Oh, that's interesting. I hadn't read that, that she combines three factors into one situation. Yeah, yeah. And that's, like, that's kind of one tool or one kind of, like, equation that she uses when she's writing her comedy. Mm. I haven't necessarily thought about the rule of threes in that way. Mm -hmm. Like, not that it's abstract, but, you know, I think of it in, like, the more improv sense of, like... It has to happen three times to be funny rather than three things mm-hmm. like affecting you. Yeah, it's definitely more of like a farcical approach of it. British farce and like British humor is like very much situational. There are very funny characters and there are a lot of um, funny things that they say. What I can think of is like in Faulty Towers, like everything is happening to John Cleese. He's like not necessarily like funny. It's like the way that he reacts is like hilarious. So it's more situational, hey? Mm-hmm. I do really agree with what you said about being an ego trip. I haven't heard it put that way yet, but I really like that mm-hmm. because in like my endless rewatches, putting this together and asking people and like going through it so many times recently, I keep not wanting to like prod the people I'm talking to, but I do really want to find out. Like, I think she confuses humor for status. Yeah. I think she thinks being funny is the same thing as having power. Mm-hmm. And so calling it an ego trip and just like outsourcing the power to the camera and being like, see, I'm in charge is a very like fine line that she walks. Yeah. The more often you rewatch it, the sadder she becomes almost because it's not that funny to you anymore. Mm -hmm. She's like, look, I'm in on it. Like you guys are in on it. We're all in on the fact that like her knowledge of like predicting people, even sometimes it's Mm. wrong, which is like kind of funny because she's fronting and pretending to know all of this stuff and pretending that like inviting people into this kind of like idea of like who she is it just like provides this yeah it gets really really sad yeah I don't know the first time I watched it um I almost like felt like betrayed by her when I kind of like when also at the end at the end end of the first season especially because I was like oh my gosh she's my friend like we're friends like she's letting me in all on all of this stuff girl code exactly exactly and it's just like no 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 she's not even she's not letting anybody into anywhere this is just her her front her ego I like attaching ego to her character as Mm -hmm. well I like have like (laughs) trouble watching a lot of shit now that's written by dudes where it's just them on like them just them uh-huh. filming themselves all yeah. the time you know so I really enjoyed it being a woman but it is like <laughs> an ego trip on so many levels to be like completely based on this ego that I'm projecting this ego that I'm mm-hmm. you know putting into it in this kind of realm what do you think the we are the audience like who is that to her in her life like in like the the realm like who is she performing for 
because we don't actually exist. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's like, what does that mean? And what kind of level is that? Where's this friend? Yeah. Yeah. I think the friend factor is very strong. The, you know, she's talking to you as a friend. Yeah, a hundred percent. I find one thing that was really um, apparent to me during this watch was like, again, I don't want to get too kind of existential with art, but just like, please do the way, please do. We can get as existential as we want. All right, let's do it. Um, but just like how you watch yes. things at different points in your life and like how they affect mm. you and what you take away from it is like, so, um, is so interesting, especially with something that you you felt that you related to the first watch through. And like, I think I watched it a year and a half ago, and I am not the person I was <laughs> then, mm. which is also so which is also so strange. I feel like I've grown so much, especially um, just like being twenty years old, like being in your twenties. It's like a big amount of growth, and I think that again in another interview I've watched many interviews with with her in it but she was like Fleabag was her response to like the grief of like coming the to terms with her 20s, of her 20s. the cynicism of your 20s and yeah so yeah. I feel like watching it is like a hundred percent seeing that evolution of yourself I, we are all Fleabag in that way we all want to like feel like we're a part of something and we're in on things and like the iron the irony of like the millennial I mean I don't know if you're you're not like a millennial but it's like the irony of that is like so apparent <laughs> could you describe a little bit more what you mean with the irony of the millennial as a non-millennial so I guess I guess it's like the 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 irony and cynicism and skeptical quality of millennials because essentially um I I mean I guess she's British but so I don't know how much that applies to her but like when we were kind of we grew up before like the internet or or like we had a couple Mm. years before the internet was like truly around us so like we have that kind of idyllic childhood as well as kind of our parents telling us we can do whatever we want like do whatever Uh, we grow up to be and then kind of just reality hit like after kind of 2001 one after the other like absolutely (laughs) just getting bodied constantly while like more gen z's kind of already grew up with the they knew about climate change they like knew about climate change straight out the bat they've also been bodied but they like grew up they like grew up with that versus like millennials <laughs> yeah just absolutely devastated um mm-hmm. but millennials have a little bit more cynicism because we had that like idyllic childhood beforehand or quote unquote idyllic everybody also like demographics are so different and everybody is so different but just like of course, in general yeah. that's kind of like the general the feeling the generational feelings exactly exactly man Thank you very much for breaking that down a little bit because I think that is an interesting comparison to draw. Mm-hmm. You said that, you know, in a way we're all fleabag and I really like knowing or asking if you the archetypes you see in the show or the types of people mm-hmm. that fleabag meets and her family. Is there somebody specific that you recognize or that you know? I definitely see the um the archetypes. I I mean, I see a lot of Martins, which is like not nice. <laughs> Lots of Martins. Lots of Lots Martins. Lots of fucking Martins. Um, I absolutely, which is also weird because, frankly, like in like I probably don't exude this, but like deep in like my core, I am very much a Claire. <laughs> Can you see it? Or maybe I was, maybe I was just. <laughs> uh, no, 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 no. I also am ashamed of how deeply I'm like, Claire, man, I get it. If I could just take care of everything, if I could just, just like micromanage. if I was just in control <laughs> of every situation, mm-hmm. it would be better. <laughs> We'd all be happier, mostly me. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, yeah, so I like, I definitely see myself as a Claire, even though like mm-hmm. as much as I'd like to say, I'd be like, oh, I'm Fleabag, I'm cool. Like I'm like a protagonist. I'm truly not, I am very much... <laughs> Like I love order, and uh, I wish I was as her, <laughs> but I just have like her anxiety, which is fine. How about the men you mentioned, Martin? I've met a lot of asshole guys, which is uh-huh. the character's name. I'm not saying arse, like I can't. I don't come across them as much. Maybe I don't know. I've, <laughs> I've met them. They've come up to me. They've wanted to talk to me. <laughs> this and is I also haven't wanted to. I've been like, 
You've just been like, I'm out. <laughs> yeah. No. I don't I think I meet more like bus rats, bus rodents <laughs> than I do uh uh arsehole guys. Rip. Yeah. It's all it's those nice guys <laughs> that, that uh apparently like me. So that's like also the thing. Like I when I was watching Fleabag, I like the the sexual confidence of like her in her twenties mm. is like not something I relate to at all. <laughs> which is like it's so fascinating because it just seems so natural to her and also like even in her interview she's always just like oh yeah like I like showed my butt during a play and I'm like this is very much like I think it's a thespian thing I'm not a part of that (laughs) (laughs) theater kids man (laughs) 100% oh yeah that's yeah Yeah. what are you gonna do about it Mm mm-hmm they good, take their clothes them. out at parties. Yeah, good for them. Yeah, <laughs> good for those people. Um, <laughs> I I find myself. I also don't necessarily relate to her sexual confidence, but I find myself very intrigued by the amount, not the amount of sex the character has, but just by her sexual life mm-hmm. and the way that Fleabag's sex and sexual life. And I think this is a very personal takeaway from the show. And I think mm-hmm. it's something that these interviews have really taught me that people just see it differently. Mm-hmm. My own view on her sexual history is that it's just been like a series of experiences and some of them were bad. And these bad experiences, like really haunt her mm. the one of the things that fascinates me about the show is how it like shows sex as something that's just like really complex to people mm-hmm. and sexual power dynamics are in every relationship you have be it your sister be it your dad mm-hmm. it's around you and so I think that's like the meat of the show mm-hmm. how would you categorize or how would you describe her sexual confidence or what is being portrayed within Fleabag through her sex life? I feel like she's looking for validation. Fleabag or Phoebe Waller-Bridge? Fleabag. 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 I feel like maybe both. Um, I feel like maybe Mm -hmm. this is something that she's kind of, like Phoebe has looked for in the past and is looking Mm -hmm. for validation. And it's it's interesting because I think the way that she's taking sex as like power and it kind of ties back to that irony and that kind of like oh I'm in on it being like oh I'm having sex with these guys and I'm like sexually um free but I'm like I know what's going on so reliable utterly inaccessible relentlessly profound all he wants is to get you in the bath and ask questions like but when you take the step back it's like no she's still getting like used by these guys like all of this kind of stuff so it kind of makes it another level of that sad aspect and I feel like humor and sex Mm -hmm. definitely fall into the same category of her kind of like inability to kind of just be okay with herself (laughs) um oh there there's the quote what are you afraid of I guess Losing the currency of youth. Ask me a question. If that's her biggest fear, I don't know if she was saying that as a joke or saying that just to say that to that hot guy or like what, but like the fact that it was like right there for her, like she knew it was thinking about it and she knew about it. I think that is one of the like major preoccupations Mm -hmm. because, and it's kind of twofold. It's, textual Mm -hmm. in her and what how she acts and what she says and that you know Claire says I can't wait to be dead which Mm -hmm. is like because they're opposites so that's her take on everything and you know Mike has sex with a man who says you're so young on every thrust yeah and then I think there's like a lot of subtextual implications of that Mm -hmm. where when she meets the bus road she's reading a uh, the newspaper and it says Mm -hmm principal fired for assaulting young students and beneath it is like a pornographic image of a younger woman and it mm-hmm. says like take out a mortgage and so there's a lot of like subtextual evidence around mm-hmm. youth and sexuality how those two are tied together but dangerous concepts to completely yeah. marry to each other mm-hmm. so I do think that that's a major theme you know what now that you bring it up I think that she has a real knack for saying the exact intention of what is going on and having Mm -hmm. the characters like say it out loud yeah and then not and but Um, still like kind of being a hypocrite but like it's not 
but I think she can fold it in very well into yes. like, the monologues and like, random mm-hmm. things. She just gets her characters to say it, and you're yeah. like, you just set the pieces. You just said it. Uh huh. I think that when you said something about Claire being her opposite, and I think that that's like mm-hmm. so apparent, and it's so true. But yeah, I think that like they both had the similar, the same upbringing. I think they have that same idea and philosophy of sex, but they took it in two different directions. Because like at the beginning, mm-hmm. at the in the first episode, when they were like, "Put up your hand if you would like lose five years <laughs> of your life for the hot for like a hot body," and they both put up their hand, but they're both so different. So like Claire settled down and like hunkered down with this like asshole and just like literally just like has took it in like the opposite direction and Fleabag took it in the whole like the totally different direction Mm. like the totally like other direction which is so interesting it is a show about extremes in a Mm -hmm. lot of ways extreme situations extreme relationships Mm -hmm. I what do you think about the godmother this is a and why do you think she treats Fleabag so badly (laughs) I agree with you I think she's a comedic queen and everything she says sends me just like oh <laughs> oh my gosh olivia coleman is like one of my favorite people of all time please look after yourself you really do look ghastly darling. i think that like the the godmother character is so i've like seen the godmother character a couple times like in my yeah. life i have but mm. it's only but it's it hasn't been like directed at me i've like seen it like from my periphery it's so powerful and it is again that kind of like intentional like while of like feminine manipulation. <laughs> the way that they paint her is good because it's like she she see she, she's kind of like one of the villains in the show. I hope you don't mind my being here, but my Pilates fell through. Oh, of course. course. No, it's lovely. It's a sad day. Sad, sad day. I'll get the champagne. But, like, she's just doing what she's doing to, like, survive, essentially. Um, And I think that that's, like, I – it's it's good because, like, she never gets her comeuppance. Like, she – like, she still marries the father. Like, she doesn't have, like – there's nothing bad that happens to her. And I think that's good because it kind of just, like, the the narrative – um, justice isn't served because there's no need for it. I don't know. I feel like sh- I see she's very similar to Fleabag in a way. I was about to ask that next or just imply that I wanted you to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, the sexual lives or the sexual philosophies, I guess, of those three women of Claire Fleabag and the Godmother. How do you think they express their sexual power or whether they can use it effectively or how it relates to their characters? Just if there's a comparison to be made. I think that you can, I don't know. I like the first thing that kind of popped into my head was like, again, through like kind Mm -hmm. of capitalistic sense (laughs) where um, like Claire, like absolutely like rejects it. And kind of is like, I'm going to be like a hardworking person. I'm going to like get my job through working hard and all of this kind of stuff. While on the opposite end, um, the godmother is like literally married this guy, like married their parent, their father, maybe not necessarily for money, but like he does have that kind of like a little bit more of a comfort. She uses it in like, almost like a tangible way especially with her art yeah it's like she's making she's commodifying her sexuality like making it into something that is digestible and then Fleabag's kind of in the middle where she like she she has like sexual agency she like tries to like she uses it but it's not effective and it's not really getting her anywhere absolutely and I think that's made very apparent in the first episode when she Mm -hmm. asks the bus to come back to her place and she takes money from his wallet and then immediately asks to have sex with him. Mm -hmm. I read it as her paying him to an extent. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't, that is, maybe that's not the intention, but I think the connection is clear Mm -hmm. or to me, or at least I read a connection there. I haven't quite put the words commodifying sexuality to the godmother's, sensibilities or life yet Mm -hmm. but I do 
like the angle of like the capitalist aspect of the sex exhibition mm-hmm. and how it is very like it's less digestible than fleabag sexuality. I am I'm kind of just working through what you said because mm-hmm. I really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really productive way to look at it, specifically with you know Claire doesn't need to have sex. She's like made sure she doesn't have to have it. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really productive comparison between why they act the ways they do. You know what? No, let's just talk about the sex exhibition. I think the sex exhibition is hilarious. It's so funny. And the godmother, the godmother has the excellent line of "It's about power," uh-huh. which I think is true. And it's once again like a time where Phoebe Waller Bridge just has her characters say exactly what's going on, but she disguises yeah. it so well. Oh, I was just gonna say one of my favorite parts is like her just like is when the godmother just like hands her the tray for the glasses, and it's just like how like I the thing is is that again I've I've been around godmothers and I've seen this happen and I've been like absolutely so impressed but also extremely terrified (laughs) and it's so to put up with it it's like it's so yeah it's so powerful and that's like I mean as much as like I think the 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 villainy of women and the way that like women are villainized as like the femme fatale and all of that kind of stuff and like I don't know manipulation and like everything yeah and everything everything that kind of comes from just like villainizing women is like so so cool (laughs) and if you take that kind of like tricksterish aspect and like stop creating it and stop giving like negative connotations like and uh, having everything as like black and white and like oh like this was Mm. bad and this is what you can see the like artistry of like how bad it is yeah I completely agree with you I get so much joy out of the power battle battles Mm -hmm. I find them so (laughs) tasteful yeah and articulate (laughs) yes 100% um my favorite power move on the godmother's end is the neutered harry which is still like one of the funniest parts of the show oh my gosh what do you think about harry's portrayal i would classify him as being portrayed as very 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 feminine i don't know i like i guess i don't know i don't really give harry much thought which is probably like what you're like yeah what you're supposed to do and i think that it is like tragic that like he isn't given as much much justice as he like deserves because it also just like I don't know like it didn't really say how much they like how long they were together and I feel like especially if he was around for like his her mother's death and like when Boo was around Mm -hmm. like he was around for a while I think that the fact that he like he stuck around for so long also that he was there before she kind of got like fucked up by her mother. Are we, sorry, are we allowed to swear? <laughs> yes. But yeah, so it's like if she, we kind of think about her, the trajectory of her grief happening with her like mother's death and then Boo's death and like that kind of stuff. But like the fact that Harry was with her beforehand, I don't know, it kind of speaks to the fact that like he's been around for a really long time. He's been there like he knows everything about her or like knows kind of like. I- the trajectory of her growth as like that type of person. I find him very interesting because he does have that position of just knowing her. She makes so much fun of him because he can reveal so much about her. Mm-hmm. And you know, in the I think in the second episode, he says, I don't hate you. I'm scared for you. And you know, <laughs> yeah. when the bus rodent hits on her and she says that she just broke up with her boyfriend and he asks why. And she says, Oh, he was really fucking affectionate. He was really great with my friends. He did all these things. I think all those things are true. I think she like mm-hmm. admits that he was a great boyfriend, but he is like such an uncomfortable reminder and he just can reveal so much about her because yeah. he knows her and it scares her. And mm-hmm. I think that's why he's ridiculed in the show. Yeah. And I guess that he's a, ri- a reminder of who she used to be. Yeah. And yeah. I wonder who that person was. I wonder what they looked like. It was probably like really sweet and probably like similar to Harry. And because, like, why um, else would know if she was? She'd be so awful to him, or not similar, but like, yeah, somebody who would be with him. Because, like, I don't think Fleabag in her like iteration of her like 
existence in that in this season would be like with that guy. How do you feel about Boo and Fleabag's friendship? Um, is it relatable to you? Does it mirror your friendships with your female friends? In some ways, yeah. Like I know there's like mm-hmm. I feel like everybody at some point has like a friend that they're super super close with. There's there's definitely like a feeling of like if if there's one person who gets you, it's obviously like one of your like best friends. I think that it's so telling to kind of like see how much it affects her about like how how much she meant her to her. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, I didn't I haven't really given a lot of thought to their relationship, more so just like the kind of betrayal and like the guilt, mm. more of the grief aspect. Um yeah, cuz Boo is also just like, I don't know, like her as a character isn't like fleshed out at all. She's not there. What are we what's there to flesh out? She's mm-hmm. dead. Yeah, exactly. I'm struggling for a transition <laughs> into the paratext. I'm reaching. I'm looking. Let's jump into the paratext to an extent. Amazing. Um, to the comparisons that are often drawn to Michaela Cole, mm-hmm. which I looked up today and looked into. I started watching, um, I think you're going to laugh at this. I started watching I May Destroy You, which came out in June of 2020. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's very recent. I mm-hmm. started watching it on like the dodgiest website. And I think I watched the last episode, the second to last episode, oh, and no. the third to last episode. <laughs> and, and whichever episode I watched first was just so experimental that I was convinced that was the tone of the show. Oh my goodness. And I was like, this is wild. Whoa. Like, I was like, <laughs> yeah, I was like, go for it, Michaela. And like three episodes in, I was like, like, this is, something is wrong. I'm supposed to know who these people are. Mm-hmm. that's so funny but I've watched a decent amount of it okay cool I know I was like stupid yeah. um so paratextually what I mean we can bring up that Phoebe Waller-Bridge's dad was named in the Panama Papers which is amazing uh I I, I don't know if it's necessarily like amazing <laughs> I don't know if it's like a good thing <laughs> um I don't think it's a good thing at no. all it was such a wild it's thing a, to find a weird, out I was like yeah um I think I mean I think it just speaks to like the privilege of like I don't know if you like if you do a lot of like I don't know when I was in high school I was like so into like British TV and like British comedy Mm. and all of that kind of stuff and if you look at like just the 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 people who were like a part of Footlights in Cambridge and like all of this kind of stuff it's a very like it's a very privileged group of like actors like Benedict Cumberbatch is like a lord or something like all of them are v- extremely extremely wealthy <laughs> yeah. Phoebe Waller-Bridge herself like her sister wrote all the music she has a very very prestigious acting background her mother is an actress so mm-hmm. I do think there's like an, a, an amount of just being of the industry mm-hmm. you know that you benefit from immensely and that is very palpable in the show as well. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I think like, um, yeah, no, it's like the industry. It's also just like being rich. Um, yeah, absolutely. And, like, yeah. You get shit made. Yeah. And I think that, um, yeah, I, I feel like she did, she's done like a pretty good job of like keeping it under like she's she's still done a good job of kind of like understanding her privilege and like for example mm-hmm. kind of I guess I feel like she um when she because she's writing like James the new James Bond with like the um like the first black James Bond like 007 I feel like she's kind of like doing her kind of like or at least starting to do her due diligence in terms of like kind of just like trying to like open up the uh <laughs> the 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 industry industry, a little bit Mm -hmm. but yeah I think that I think it ties to you can see that in her um you can see that in her in the show and just like how kind of like essential um and kind of like in the binary um like a lot of the 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 writing is where it's like very much like ah being a woman kind of thing um absolutely I I agree with you I think that 
I wish I could talk to like a British person about this who would really understand what I'm mm-hmm. asking because there's so many class signifiers oh, that I don't understand in the yeah. show that I'm that I know are flying over my head. Even now when I was watching I May Destroy You, they mention different neighborhoods in mm-hmm. London. They go to different like apartment building complexes. And I'm sure to a local that means the world. Yeah. You know, just seeing a certain building. If I'm watching something from Germany where I'm from, I see a building, I know exactly who lives there. Yeah, you know? exactly. And so mm-hmm. you know, Fleabag is a very, very white world. Mm-hmm. Um her family she writes about her family, so I think she like it's hard to say that she like has given herself permission not to people it with people Mm -hmm. of color but it is like a natural consequence Mm -hmm. and one thing I've noticed and I mentioned this on the phone from crashing into Fleabag I've watched a little bit of Killing Eve I do want to watch more Mm -hmm. is that her black characters are always very sexual Mm. in a way that is just like a pattern that I that is has emerged from what I've seen yeah I don't know if you would agree with me. Yeah, on that. I, I would agree. I would definitely agree. And even um mm-hmm. Yeah, I I haven't uh I can't remember. I it's been a while since I've watched Killing Eve, but um Yeah, I think I think there is there is something to say to that. And um Yeah, I I it's it's so it's really strange to kind of like critique your like I guess I don't know your heroes on like their kind of like racial um Mm. kind of like just uh the things that they can miss um yeah I guess I guess it you can see even in Fleabag like the architecture of it like it's all very like white Britain and then you go and watch I May Destroy You and you can like they Mm. they explore like London and so many more different areas like I I kind of can speak to the 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 just kind of the different um boroughs in London because I spent a couple yeah. like a year in I spent a year in London for school that's so hot of you yeah, yeah it's definitely very fun <laughs> um but yeah like you can see that like Shoreditch is kind of where all the like white hipsters hung out and like if you like go mm. to different areas like you can see like the the um there's like more of the complexes where like chewing gum took place versus like um, mm-hmm. the like the places where they are and all the kind of different areas. But yeah, there's a, definitely a lot more of like a city like entrenched um, kind of ambiance in the in like I May Destroy You. Mm-hmm. And she's like, there's more I... like at battle and more external kind of causes. Yeah, and I think Fleabag's very internal, which I think is like a privilege actually I think that just speaks to the privilege of like her like being like oh I'm at war with myself because like there's not as much to be at war at (laughs) there's there's not much war on the outside except my family Mm -hmm. her financial struggle you know but she does have the rich sister Mm -hmm. the rich parents exactly it is not necessarily it ends with her getting a bank loan and it's yeah. not necessarily a very dire situation. Mm-hmm. It reminds me of, I don't know if you've seen Sex in the City, but Sex in the City and like Carrie. And exactly, exactly. And like, it's like, oh, this is yeah. a problem. It's also just like the thing is, is that I don't know, I don't know any, any like 25 year olds who like own a cafe, like who, who in the world has that money? <laughs> Cause I don't like, if I could open a cafe like by myself, or like with a best friend, I like a hundred percent would, but like that's absolutely like so again like idealistic and far fetched, which is like I feel like that's something you can speak to. Not to correct <laughs> you, but I think she is supposed to be at least in her late twenties or thirties. Oh yeah, she's supposed to be thirty. Yeah, yeah. 30. Mm-hmm. Um, point stands. Mm-hmm. We are led to believe that she's a very like vagabond individual, mm-hmm. and this is like a you know it's a it's a big cafe. Yeah. It's not small. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you can see, like, Absolutely. I mean, her parent, like, the house that her dad has is, like, stunning. <laughs> Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. Yeah. Again, wish I had, like, a British person to even ask about the accent. You know what yeah. I mean? And to be like, what does the way they talk mean? Because I, I fully understand that those are, like, connotations that I don't really mm-hmm. understand. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Um, I also think it's interesting to talk about, like, her writing process um, and also, like, the way... I don't know if you know this, but like her current partner, um, 
is Martin McDonough, Donough, 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 something. Um, and he's like a very, very famous screenwriter who like is also very well known for his like kind of quick, um, his quick humor and stuff like that. Good for them. Happy. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I know like good for them for being like two extremely talented, uh, screenwriters, (laughs) but like it's so, it's really interesting because when I found out like he, he wrote like in Bruges. What? Yeah. And he also, I mean, he also just won. They're dating each other. Yeah. And like seven psychopaths and like three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. It's like that guy. That's yeah. That's a lot of talent in one relationship. I know. Well, and it's also interesting. You can see, like, I feel like she's definitely influenced him. I mean, not to me- like, I mean, everybody's kind of becoming a lot more aware of like feminism and like with the Me Too movement and everything. But like, how do you right. go from you yeah? Be. How do you go from like in Bruges to seven to three billboards outside of Missouri? <laughs> like, it's definitely like a big kind of like growth. I mean, in Bruges is one of my favorite movies of all time because it's just so so much fun um it's no choice absolutely yeah um but like yeah I like would love to like sit uh at a dinner with those two like them just like doing their thing I also think that Phoebe Waller-Bridge and her writing style in general um is again like I wish I knew a little bit more about screenwriting to talk about it in a little bit Mm -hmm. of a fuller way but I think she is so good at building theme upon theme and not necessarily, not that, not that we can't go into the second season. This is just more about the first season. Yeah. But I think the second season is such an answer and a bomb for the first 100%. season. And you mentioned that you think it's a lot better. I, I think it's significantly better. Um, I also think it's, yeah. I mean, she wrote, I also think that um, season one, watching it again multiple times, I can see the like square peg round hole aspects of it. So like the Mm -hmm. things, like there are things that I know that I feel like were lifted from the play and put on screen. I can see what's on stage in the, in the play, like in the TV show. So I'm like, I, I like listen to the dialogue and see it. And I'm like, this definitely has like more of a play dialogue than it does a like a kind of natural like tv show dialogue and in the second season you like don't get that at all I don't know if you noticed that but I felt like very like theatrical in some of the aspects of the first season are there specific scenes that come to mind that would illustrate that um like the the one scene when they're singing in the in the cafe with boo like that just seems like Mm. I would I could see that happening in like a theater um I don't know what, like, there's a couple other ones, but that one's, like, the number one that kind of sticks out to me where I'm, like, that seems like that would be in a play. In some of the, uh, the first season, you can kind of get hints of, like, kind of clear, like, clear understanding that, like, Fleabag does go away to, like, a place at some point. Like, Mm. there are times when she's, like, oh, are you okay? Or, like, you can, like, she senses that there is something happening when she's talking to the screen. Um, and then they play that up so beautifully with the hot priest, which is just like chef's kiss beautiful. <laughs> Man, mm-hmm. the, the hot priest thing. I don't know if you know, um, I don't know how much you follow YouTube video essay- essayists, um, but ContraPoint is a pretty famous uh, YouTuber. Uh-huh. And she has this one great line that's like, um, it's about the desi- it's, it's about the buildup of desire and shame. Uh-huh. Like that's what's sexy. Yeah. And that's that whole, the whole storyline is the buildup of desire and yeah, shame. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Ugh, it's so, yeah, it's, like, so good. But it's also just, like, so, like, yeah. And I think, I mean, this, again, this is getting into season two. It's, like, how much of that is the desire and shame and how much of that is, like, the love that they share for each other? Because there is that, like, sweet tenderness that they have for each other. And it's just, like, what, like, Absolutely. what what came first the the chicken or the egg or like is that like actually like is like how futile is their like relationship or is it like actually not futile and it's like extremely tragic and beautiful but yeah (laughs) I also really like that 
she goes for somebody who's celibate. Yeah. I think that's a really clever way of exploring the problems of Fleabag in the first show in a different light. Mm-hmm, 100%. So season two, I also really like. I think I think they're just very different beasts. I'm sure you understand mm-hmm. why I'm not treating them together. Yeah, I think I think it's... Yeah, I think it's important to kind of treat them as, like, two separate ones. Because basically, like, she was, like... F- I don't want to say she was forced back into writing season two, but she was, like, they they made her write season two. Like, she was, like, Fleabag... Uh, as far as I know. Yeah. It was supposed to exist as, like, one, like, a one play. Like, a one season thing, but it turned into more. Yeah, I'm really glad she did, for my own sake, because mm-hmm. I love it. But also, you know, she... Her, um, which I'm sure you've heard the rationale that she gave is that once she figured out that she wanted another character to see the camera, she knew that that would revive the purpose of the show. She was like, once the once another character knows the camera and interacts with the camera, yeah, that will mm-hmm. be the reason to keep going because she mm-hmm. so she thought they had concluded so much of mm-hmm. it. Yeah, I was just like, so much of the play or so much of the first season was unresolved though which is like so strange Mm. to me like because it's like she didn't she wrote it she wrote or I mean I'm not too familiar with like the like the production aspect of it but it seems like she wrote the first season it did so well and then she wrote the second season but so much of the first season is so well woven into the second like so much of the first season is so well woven into the second season and it does it almost seems like a seamless transition in a way because her sister stopped talking to her she still had like the statue like there's so much that was unresolved so I like I like can't imagine Mm. a second season not existing I am really glad you told me about this may destroy you because so many of the themes in Fleabag of like figuring out sex around you because sex is so scary mm-hmm. uh, and I felt like that was the only show addressing it and now watching uh this may destroy you I was like man this is another take fuck yeah yeah <laughs> being like oh I get to like mm-hmm. yeah I get to think about this again and like watch it happen again and mm-hmm. and it's like it's it's so wild again it's like all these like two very like powerful women Mm -hmm. characters who like seemingly have like sense of self like exploring their sexuality and exploring like what it means to have that kind of sexuality it's so it's really hard to like I May Destroy You is like it's so unsettling to watch because like it isn't like it isn't fun like the sex that she has is not fun at all or and it's not even sex like some of of it's like it's rape in my film classes at one point all I talked about were the sex scenes I was just sex scene girl wow but (laughs) I think it's very I think it's very I'm just laughing because that's what I'm about to ask you um I just think sex scenes are very revelatory on the part of the filmmakers Mm -hmm. and their intentions yeah and I think they're supposed to say a lot about the characters. Yeah. So I think they're just important to discuss and bring up. But I feel like in film classes, we often don't just because it seems a little taboo to be like... 100%. You know, but I do think there's a there's so much intention between behind how you film sex, like subconscious yeah. intention, blah, blah. The sex scenes in Fleabag, they are not necessarily very sexual. No. Like she doesn't... Not at they're all. They're not sexy. Yeah, I think that they are kind of like... I, I I think it speaks to the kind of um, buildup of it. And you know how, like, in that monologue, Fleabag was like, oh, it's not the actual act of it. It's the kind of drama behind it. Um, Absolutely. The artifice. Exactly, exactly. So I think that that definitely ties to um, ties to why her sex scenes are so kind of, like, almost comedic. I mean, all some of them are – most of them are comedic, actually. Um and, like, even when she is, like, having sex with the priest, she, like, pans away the camera, which just, again, speaks to the idea that it's, like, any, like, her sincerity is not for the camera. Mm. It's the intimacy that's so lacking in her previous sex scenes is, like, ripe for exploitation for mm-hmm. her. But when it's intimate, she just, like, she can't show that to us mm-hmm. because... That's not what we're here for. That's it's like not- too much to bear. I think it would be super interesting to have like an actual like academic scholar 
like somebody who's like specifically <laughs> um, there for like sex scenes. I know that like, I mean, I am not in the theater community, but I do know a lot of people who are actors and the kind of the new um, kind of up uh, of upheaval of like intimacy coordinators and like all of that kind of stuff is so important right now. And I know that like, I don't know, there's this one, like, I think it's Catherine Brille, like the French, like shock person, shock film director. She like had a whole film about this sex scene she did in a previous film that she had. So like, I don't know if you're familiar with like the fat girl or my fat sister. I call it my fat sister just because it's like, I don't know. It's called the fat girl. Um, And there's like a sex scene with this like young actress. And then she made a film about making that sex scene with that actress and just like kind of talking about like the, um, the power and the dynamic of like, like sex scenes in the film industry and like how to handle that as a director and like the intricacies of it and the kind of like the way that they can be filmed and the way that they can be like misconstrued and taken. And it's super interesting. But yeah. For sure. I'm just very fascinated by them. Mm -hmm. I think they're like, they're such a like interesting, if it's an, I don't know, there's so much intention in it and so much like just, subconscious stuff that goes into how you mm-hmm. film it i would really like to talk to an intimacy coach for this for my podcast by the mm-hmm. way that's like a somebody i really want to hit and oh, cool. to just ask because there is like a, an industry side to the podcast that i want to create mm-hmm. and one of them is an intimacy coach. just be like how would you film something like this what goes into preparing actors mm-hmm. for having a sex scene like that i know like a lot of practice like there's like clap-ins like clap-in is like a big thing where people mm-hmm. like they like clap in and then they're like, okay, great. Now we're doing intimacy stuff. And then they clap out and they're like, great, we're not doing that anymore. I know that's like a big thing. Um, among my actor friends, they're like, great, let's clap in. And they clap and then they kiss and they're like, okay, great. No, let's clap. <laughs> yeah. Um, but like, it. It, yeah, it's very funny. Um, but yeah, so stuff like that. And, and also like not leaving room for improvisation. Mm, yes that's a big thing so um just because I know like all of my like stage combat it's funny because like it's like the stage combat people I like talk to and the like intimacy coordinators I talk to are like the same people so like like sex and violence are very similar and can Mm. be kind of like are like juxtaposed and both translated into like art as well so it's like yeah all of our like we do not like I do improv. Um, uh, I do. I'm a part of a an improv group that is also like a stage combat group. We do not improvise any of our fighting, um, and people shouldn't improvise any of their sex scenes because that leaves too much room for like boundary crossing, anything like that. Mm. So I think it's the same. They kind of go hand in hand. Uh, what a what a profound take on the connection between those two from a like theater point yeah. of view. <laughs> Thank you. That was like it was a hot little take. Mm-hmm. Um I wanted to ask you specifically about the statue and what do you think it represents? Why do you think it's in the show? Um and just uh, the golden mm-hmm. statue from yeah, yeah. obviously. Yes. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Um I think that I mean I think it represents the currency of youth. Um mm. I think Again, um, yeah, I I think it, it was supposed to. It's interesting because it's like supposed to be representative of their mom, so it's kind of like it's this like looming presence. Um, I think that the way that it's brought in throughout the whole series is so fantastic, um, um, and I think it is. Uh, I don't know. I I I, I always kind of. Um, it's the most prominent to me in the second season. I'm sorry if I'm kind of going off and jumping a little bit forward. No, no, no. But it, it's all good. Please, yeah. Yeah. Um, it reminds me of, it's like very prominent with um, when she meets the like person who wins the Women in Business Award um, yes. and kind of just talks about how like pain is built into being a woman 
um and how it like we like literally just you like, have it on a cycle for years and years yeah exactly exactly so I think I, I think it's just like that kind of all-encompassing um stru- like uh idea of being a woman and like I think the the fact that it's headless and the fact that it's like anonymous also kind of ties to like the way that like the commodification of sex and the way that women are like treated as objects. And it's that kind mm-hmm. of like, even though I, and I think it also kind of ties to like the fact, the kind of, again, the kind of self-sabotaging of Fleabag where it's like, even though the godmother made that, um, that statue, it still is like exploitative. It still can be kind of seen as exploitative. Mm. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And she finds a way to exploit it when it's stolen and she dedicates it. She calls it a woman robbed. And it's suddenly about women who don't have a body. Yeah. And or who have their women stolen. Yeah. I really like the, that you put the word commodification and like a capitalistic approach to their sexualities into my head because I think I've been thinking about it thematically so much. That this is mm-hmm. like, it's just an interesting reading. I'm really enjoying thinking about it that way. I think it's very mm-hmm. productive, which is a shit word to use in that context. <laughs> you know what I mean? Productive? Yeah. No, it's good. It's better than saying interesting. So you're good. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. But I productive think... just like itself is tied to yeah. producing and capitalizing in a lot of ways. Yeah. I think that, I don't know, everyth- like everything should be read with a kind of like capitalistic like like take a step back and see the capitalistic lens of it all especially because it is like again it was so it's a very it's a solid gold statue so it's literally like Mm. this very very expensive like worthless object that is like headless and anonymous and just like a body (laughs) so it's very like it's very like funny it's a very powerful thing to have return and kind of exist within mm-hmm. the show. Yeah. And it's so tough. And like sometimes it hands so much. Yeah. And also one thing that is just like, it's to me, like when I first saw it, I was like, it's so tacky. And it's like, mm. it's like there's so many, like, I don't, even with just like the character of the statue, like where it exists, I see so many different like facets of it. Like, it's so like, yeah, I don't know. Initially, it's so tacky. And then when she steals it and like holds it up to like her own body, I'm like, that's like Isn't brilliant. Phallus? Yeah. I think the phallic way she holds it and it's in her pants. Yeah, oh. exactly. Exactly. And just like, yeah. yeah, like the, the, just so many faces of it that we see, um, kind of like also speaks to like, Ooh, like us ladies, we are also multifaceted, <laughs> and like yeah, even though yeah. even though um, even though it is like worth so much, the like the connotations and the way that it is used and the way that it is used against each other, and like um, yeah, like the who gives it to whom and the way that it is traded around, just like shows that like what we are given as women also kind of like can be manipulated and can be altered in different ways and presented in different ways and used to our advantage or advantage or demise yeah absolutely Mm -hmm. absolutely um I also really like what you when you uh, I, I I sound so like corporate when I say it and I really hate sounding formulaic which is why I'm struggling to like get this out Uh uh when you said that, like, when you attach, like, binary to it, and now I'm just thinking yeah. about all the, like, very, very clear-cut, like, it is a show that thrives on the absolute division between male and female. Yeah. Yeah, and that, you know, naturally ties into the kind of capitalistic nature even represented in the statue and the, you know, she initially tries to sell yeah. it. And just, it's, I really like the 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 things you've pointed out over the course of the past hour. I like mm-hmm. definitely have a lot to chew on. Thank you very much. I, I <laughs> enjoyed it really greatly. Absolutely. And again, like thank you so much for telling me about um 
this may destroy you. I've been really enjoying it. Yeah. Despite my yeah. massive wonder with it being like, like I, I'll just watch it messed up and I just will think it's experimental film the entire time. Mm-hmm. It's also just like, there's so much that like I, I've watched the, I've watched it multiple times. Like I've had to like, the each episode I think I've watched twice because there's so much to chew on and there's so much that I feel like I'm missing um it's really good for the rest of our conversation tune into the expert interview thanks for listening